Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of It's Always Saturn, the podcast from Raven Rabbit Ram. I am Christina. I will be your host, and I am the editor of Raven Rabbit Ram. I will preface this by saying that this is very much a trial by fire in creating a podcast episode. I hope that you will stick with us as we improve our general skill sets when it comes to recording and editing. As a linguistic nerd, it's really fascinating for me to hear all of the ums and ahs and yes and specifics of my speech and Carl's speech. As a former Toastmasters member, I'm pretty appalled though. Carl, as you may know if you read Raven Rabbit Ram, is our head music writer. He writes about a lot of shows in Philly. This particular interview was the night of the Roots show in Harrisburg. So that was a huge boon to get them here in Harrisburg and he came out. I was not able to attend the show so he attended with some of our friends and came back and reported on it. We do get into the weeds about some Philly stuff, some venues, and the general avoidance of Philly that bands seem to have lately. We also get into some Pennsylvania stuff. I took a little bit out. We got deep in the weeds on specific state legislature issues, but you do get to hear a little bit of a take on Mastriano. If you're wondering why a podcast, what what's the purpose of this? Primarily, I think conversations allow for more nuance. And I think you'll see a different view of some of the writers and contributors that you see on Raven Rabbit Ram by listening to them in conversation. I'm really looking forward to having some of the poets and artists who we've been able to feature on the website and getting into a discussion about their work, about life, just their perspective on the world. I listened to my first podcast in 2008, a boy that I dated in college and some of his friends who were comedians got together and created a podcast, which I had to download and put on an iPod because this was before I had a smartphone. I think it might have been before smartphones in general. I had moved to Los Angeles after college and it could be really lonely and I would get homesick. So listening to that podcast and hearing these familiar voices made me feel at home and it made me feel like I was hanging out with friends. A few years later, I got into listening to a ton of podcasts because I had a job that required very little mental effort, but it did require that I stay still (laughs) listening to something all day. So I got into a variety of different podcasts then and some of those I've been listening to pretty consistently ever since. The first one I found when I got that job was the Joe Rogan experience. And that's because I googled Maynard James Keenan podcast and found that he had been interviewed on there. So from there, I ended up getting super into the Duncan Trussell family hour and the Lavender hour from before uh, that. That's an example of a podcast that I've listened to since then. Although I would say now my, my tastes have changed. I find myself listening to podcasts that people I know have made and also listening to a lot of informative podcasts to get my news in. The name, It's Always Saturn, we will get into more in another episode with one of our contributors, Christine O'Leary-Rocky, which should be an interesting episode. But there is a blog post on the website, ravenrabbitram.com, which talks about how it's always Saturn in terms of planetary hours and my own Bader-Meinhof tendency to always see the clock at Saturn. I can confirm that it's still always Saturn. So an aptly titled blog, an aptly titled 
podcast. Carl mentions an upcoming album and an event. You'll see those in the show notes if you wanted to check out either of those things. Trigger warning, there is quite a bit of privilege in this episode talking about travel. I am very aware that my and Carl's experiences are not universal ones. You'll also find that the podcast ends very abruptly. To be honest, we were both very tired, so we just kind of stopped talking. I will say this. I do not drink. I have not drank in well over a year. Uh, So the way that I talk is apparently that sort of mumbling situation. And I apologize. I will definitely work on diction in future podcast episodes. There's definitely a learning curve to making a conversation with a friend something that would be palatable for a re-listen. I want to thank my husband and my kids for composing and performing our theme song. We've got some really cool episodes coming up. Thank you so much for joining us on this inaugural podcast. I promise we will just continue to grow and improve from here. And I really appreciate you taking the journey. Have an awesome day. Have an awesome Saturn. It's always Saturn. Write all the set lists yourself, or do you just look them up online? As best I can, I write them myself. If I know the band's catalog really well, then I'll try to do it. But, for example, the Parquet Courts one. There were one or two off the new one that I didn't know the names of, so I just wrote some kind of like filler thing or descriptor. And then, thankfully, they're a band that people do, do Setlist FM for, so I cross-checked it the next day. A few of the best moments from the show tonight were songs that I know but don't know the names of. I hold the roots pretty in pretty high esteem, like in terms of bands, in terms yeah. of live bands of the last thirty years, right up there with I'm wearing a jacket for me or fish or That's you know. pretty high. No, I know, they're awesome. Because they, this is like the tired thing I tell everyone about like how awesome they used to be. But I remember like in like oh seven or oh four seeing them and they did a cover of Shimmy Shimmy Ya. Uh, and then transitioned into Jungle Boogie, and then directly into Paranoid from Black Sabbath. And it was like, no hip-hop act does this. This is ridiculous. So, like, they approached being a hip-hop band kind of like a jam band. Similarly, I never know how people understand all these, like, The Grateful Dead. There's so many versions of every single song, and to just have any fluency talking about that blows my mind. Fan base could cite versions from different dates of different years yeah. as exceptional or this was a period where they were exceptional and then it gets even weirder like the more the further down the jam band rabbit hole you get like the dead would maybe like in their shows uh start a song play like a song cycle of other songs and then come back and close with that song and then like fish they would start a song and then finish it another night Sometimes, oh, and like wow. their fans like just love, eat the shit up, you know. I had some friends who were like really into the disco biscuits in college, and they would like play backwards versions of songs and stuff that doesn't even like I don't really know what that means when I see it written down on a set list, but like more and more elaborate ways to chop up your set really give the deep, deep fans follow you around the country something to get excited about. I feel like I would have to have so much confidence in my own understanding of a band to even be able to have a conversation about that. Being like, they were playing this song backwards. I would think that I was just, like, wrong. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's off-putting when you hear people who are, like, really into it talking about it and you're, like, approaching it as a novice. Yeah. It's like, oh, what? how would I possibly know that? And it is kind of that way with those jam bands because they have such huge catalogs of songs that, like, I've kind of become kind of a big fish fan over the years, but anytime I see them, there's going to be stuff that I have no clue what it is whatsoever, let alone 
you know, some kind of second-rate jam band playing backwards versions of their yeah. songs <laughs> in, like, clipped movement. Some people will say, like, Tool's a jam band. I think that's a misunderstanding of what's happening with the Tool. <laughs> I agree. I think they know everything that they're doing. But that's, I guess, that, like, level of just ongoing atmospheric. I mean, maybe, maybe they do improvise from night to night, because I feel like that's a big part of it, right? Like I have not noticed that they do, but I'm not a musician. Like, if you didn't know any better, like, if you just were an alien and you were listening to Earth music, how would you know what's, like, a structured musical movement and what's an improvisational jam? Yeah. You know, it wouldn't be immediately evident. That's certainly true of comedy, too. Indeed. <laughs> People who are good at improv. <laughs> I don't know if I can count myself in that. But if you watch good improv and you watch, like, a sketch, you mm-hmm. might not know the difference. Right. That's right. Certain people just have that that switch in their mind or whatever, or just that, that fluidity. At, at one point tonight during the concert, Will, in a classic Will moment, just said, he's got to remember a lot of words. Because Black Thought was going off on some, like, eight, like four-minute breathless tear. It's like, yeah, well observed. And then I kept reflecting back on that, like, in the moments where he was rapping, which were not as many as normally when I see them. He was like, yeah, Black Thought has to remember a lot of words every day of his life, really. Does he play on the, are they all on The Tonight Show? Uh, I think he's present on The Fallon Show, but he's sidelined. That's such a weird use of your time. But that's also why he's had kind of a career renaissance outside of the roots over the last five or six years. He had that big YouTube freestyle, this enormous freestyle, and I was like, damn, he's the GOAT, maybe. Ah, I miss that. And that got him like hype in a way that he hadn't for a while, because the roots have been dormant for a few years, playing The Tonight Show, or... Yeah. And then he put out a few like solo EPs, and he started popping up doing really fire guest verses on other people's stuff. So he finally, I, I just, just got tired of the night show, <laughs> and just kind of rallied. He's yeah. got an album with uh, Danger Mouse coming out in the next oh, month or two. That's exciting. This is a total subject change. Are you seeing Run the Jewels and Rage anywhere? Well, they're not playing Philly. I know. Which is this weird, <laughs> weird, like, music-wide epidemic where people are dodging <laughs> recently. Did something happen to, like, the venues? I don't know. Well, to be fair, Run the Jewels is playing um, this Adult Swim festival that sounds really cool. It's going to be, like, at the... There's, like, kind of, like, a, a little business island where the Fillmore Philadelphia is. It's just... It's right near Columbus Boulevard, Delaware Avenue, and Gerard. They have... The main music venue there, the Fillmore, which also has an upstairs smaller venue in it. And then there's a comedy club and a bowling alley that also has live music there. And so they're having this weekend special that Adult Swim's putting on where all of those venues are going to be in play. So it's kind of like a little festival, but instead of going out in the field, all these places within this little like wedge, it's not a block, it's more of a wedge, I think, if you looked at it, are going to be playing in different places there. That sounds really fun. But we're not getting any rage. No rage in Philly. That's a shame. I know. And Jack White, I think, hates Philadelphia. Really? I think he must have had a bad show with the White Stripes back in the day, and he's just held the grudge ever since, so he's not stopping here on this tour. Some of the tours that are hitting like, are tours with multiple acts, like uh, Parliament, I think, or George Clinton, or whatever he's calling it, just came through. And we had like the most bare bones <laughs> supporting lineup of the entire tour. It's like Philly's just taking it on the chin. 
this year, concert-wise. That sucks, because, like, Baltimore is usually often skipped as well. So if you're here, at least, like, in Harrisburg, that's D.C. or Pittsburgh. Like, that's a hike to get anywhere. Philly, yeah. you can kind of bop up to New York fairly quickly, I guess. Yeah. Bands are yeah, and, and then it's, like, wounding to the always sensitive Philadelphia soul anyway. It's like, come on, we're a big city. Damn it, play yeah. here. <laughs> we deserve it. We insist. We're number six. We used to be number five, but Houston got a little big bridges, but come on. I wonder if Pennsylvania, the direction that it's going as a state, despite those of you in Philadelphia trying your damnedest to keep us reasonable... I know. Hey, God bless Pittsburgh too. They're, yeah. they're, they're all right. I wonder if that's a turnoff though, because like people think of Pennsylvania like they're crazy. I'm sure that's that factors in somehow. I won't. I won't wager on numbers. I guess. I guess we're looking all right on the the big elections, but Pennsylvania always sucks because the statewide like the state stuff goes wrong. Yeah. Because it's gerrymandered all hell. If Mastriano, I'll lose my faith in. Pennsylvania, if that guy yeah. gets selected, yeah. <laughs> amongst other more important concerns than my faith in the state of Pennsylvania, <laughs> will be like, do I still have rights? <laughs> right, there's that, there's that more immediate present concern, but the, uh, the those bold never Trumpers are starting to unite against him now. Thank God. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I say that sardonically, but I mean, better better that than not. There are like three billboards in Harrisburg alone. I don't know if you saw any of them. I was on one street and saw like three different billboards that said the like thumbs up. It was if you thumbs up inflation, you'll heart Josh Shapiro. So it was obviously them trolling sure. on Shapiro. The, the, the brilliant comedic minds of the right. <laughs> but I was like, you can't even come up with real words. <laughs> And you're really banking on people really following through the whole logic of this. Oh, well, there's a picture where Joe Biden looks dumb, so this must be a no Biden. Have you ever seen the ones at the, uh, at, the gas, at the gas stations where people put, like, Biden going, I did this. Yeah. Sure, the man's a boob, but he did not yeah. cause the gas prices to be where they are. And the people who are posting that are, you know. It's just like, nobody wants this. Right. You don't need to be such, like, an aggressive putting stickers on. Like, nobody's, like, sweet. I'm so glad this is where we're at. He's my favorite president. <laughs> this is my favorite time to be alive. Like, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> so the Roots were in town tonight. Yeah, the Roots. <laughs> oh, that was kind of weird, too. Interesting venue. It really is just a strip of walking path with a little bit of green, and then if you walk far enough, it expands up a little bit, and there's a stage. It's on the river. It was cool in that regard. Lots of vendors. Good crowd. Who were the vendors? Uh, well, certainly there was a um, Trogues. Trogues nice. was well represented. Just and they had about six lines that were all terminally long as hell. And speaking of long lines, going in, it seemed frighteningly long the line, and it was a little slow getting in. But you realize once I realized what I told you about it having been just like one long strip, mm-hmm. that it's just a single line. So it moved relatively all right in that regard. It's just one long line of people, and then you go and get through because there's not enough room for there to be multiple lines. Hmm. Uh, other vendors, I was kind of in a hurry to get to our friends and find a place because I was late, but I was told there was some kind of non-dairy ice cream place. There was a grilled cheese place. That's probably what I can tell you with confidence. Yeah, I'd say there were like a good six, 
aside from the alcohol, which was a city block wide, there yeah. was uh, there were probably at least a half dozen vendors. What's your favorite venue? In Philly, maybe the Man. It's kind of outside the main city, but it's just a great outdoor venue. And I hate to say it, but I love the Fillmore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so like oh, they're just you know whoring out the Fillmore name, and it's super commercialized, but it, the sound is crystal clear. And it's designed intelligently, like the, the ceilings are high. The bars, they have two different bars that space things out so that, you know, you can, you're never in an awful line. You can only just get some air if things are too hot inside the concert. And I love underground arts too, because they're still outside of Clear Channel and everything. And I've seen so many good shows from bands I didn't think I'd get to see. Like uh, the first time I saw Kikigaku Moyo. I discovered them, I was like, oh, this Japanese band that lives in Amsterdam, I'm too bad I'll never get to see them. And then, like, a month later, they came to Underground Arts. It was so funny, when you wrote that, we got so many random hits from Amsterdam. And at first, my mind was like, oh, well, that's just expat Carl. He's got so many friends <laughs> living all over the world. That must be, like, where all this international traffic is coming from. And then I realized that the band was, was from Because, oddly enough, in that five years that I lived abroad, I had all those... In- I never once had a Dutch friend. There were never really? any Dutch people in Zhengzhou. That's probably because they're happy, so they don't go yeah, <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah, they don't get <laughs> traumatized enough to by like you know bad work scenes or yeah. you know whatever it was that send them to China to unknown cities in China. They're just enjoying life in Amsterdam. <laughs> Fair point. Their their biggest concern is limiting tourists from coming in. Fluttering. That's that is a good point. That's probably why I, <laughs> among the multitude of nationalities that I encountered living there, none of them were Dutch. I wonder if you could track a study and just like look at percentages of expats in general, and then where they're from. Look at quality, of whatever you would use to measure quality of life, <laughs> not the GDP. Or I saw just the other day that um, New Zealand surprisingly came up as the second worst country to move to. In the really? international poll, yeah. That is surprising. Because of the job market and what some people felt was wealth inequality. Like they got high points on nature and maybe maybe culture and sporting, but surprisingly not great on the, the general immigration prospects. Hmm. But then Australia did really well, top five or top ten. And generally speaking, I think of New Zealand as the more progressive and you know, more desirable country. I imagine New Zealand as being more of a small town vibe. Right. I feel like in my head, I don't know if that's accurate. Are they picked on by Australians like Flight of the Concords? <laughs> well, that's like part of, I think, like my perception of New Zealand is that like things are booming, but that's just really just like Taika Waititi is booming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's probably raising their GDP quite a bit. Yeah. Just by the Marvel movies alone. Oh my gosh, have you seen that show, um, I think it's Wellington Paranormal? It's from New Zealand. It's oh, that was, that was a Documentary head style. That was a head shake, rather. I don't know, it's really funny. Okay. <laughs> Any familiar faces? Um, I feel like some of the, like, countries with smaller actor pools have a lot of recurring people. Like how much Olivia Coleman shows up. Off the top of my head, I don't know that I saw anyone I recognized. I do really appreciate how much they seem to use indigenous actors. Which I think is cool, because you don't see a lot of that here. Yeah. Although there's kind of like a, a slight shift that way, partially because of Taika. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, we got a second season coming of Reservation Dogs. 
think there's one or two other indigenous heavy or indigenous produced shows. There's definitely, I'm pretty sure, something on Netflix. Hunt for the Wilder People that had some indigenous cast members. Evidently, it's better to move to Australia. The extreme nature of like the ecosystem there scares me. I wonder how cheap it is to travel between those two countries. I think for us living in Philadelphia, Australia is pretty much the furthest place you could possibly want to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the complete opposite part of the world from where we live. Unless it's like Fiji or something might be. Sure, yeah. Like, I'd love to go there. I have friends who have moved there, even really a dedicated move to go to Australia. So China's gotten pretty cheap to fly to, even since, even since I had first moved there. And then, like, the last few times I went there with my old job in 2017, 2018, it had gone down. Like, it used to be over $1,000 to go one way. One day was round trip, but it used to be over $1,000 is our marker. Gia was able to go for, like, 700 round trip in 2018. Wow. Because China, I guess China's just subsidizing travel so heavily. But, like, when I look at going to Taiwan or when I look at going to Southeast Asia, it's way jacked up so I gotta imagine that New Zealand is not a cheap flight probably Australia is cheaper because it's bigger with a bigger economy there's not exactly a whole lot in the neighborhood did you visit how many times did you manage to come back to visit when you were in China to America yeah oh every summer I made it back at least once so, so I, like five maybe four because the fifth year I just moved back okay but yeah so most years I came back for you know, like a full summer vacation, quote-unquote, you know, like a July-August thing. The one year, I had a friend who was getting married in September, so I pitched back my summer vacation as part of some deal I made with my bosses where I stayed there for the most part, and then I came back for two weeks in late August, early September. But that was the least I ever made it back. I always came back each summer. That's a lot of airfare. Yeah, well, you know what? Those bonus miles, almost completely at least, funded my trip the year after to Europe to visit my friends that I made in China from uh, Italy and Spain. I had so many bonus miles from flying back and forth from China to Philadelphia, or I guess a couple times I might have flown out of New York. Yeah, and then between that and then being put up by my friends, it was a pretty cheap trip. One that I haven't been able to duplicate since because I haven't <laughs> had any uh, you know impetus for... Dropping that much money on airfare. When I went to Ghana, I think it was like three grand, and that's not even relatively. It's not very far. Right, but that was that was old. That was further back. Yeah, that was in like two thousand six. Right. A while. So that was before my China days, and Ghana doesn't have the kind of money to throw at their tourism industry that China has. Yeah, that was like a KLM flight to Amsterdam, and then. From Amsterdam to Accra. Interesting. Yeah, that's taking some weird <laughs> connecting flights that didn't seem like they belonged in, in the yeah. sequence. Because, like, as the crow flies, obviously you could just fly straight to the African coast. It's not like yeah, you don't need a pit stop. It's kind of just directly across the ocean. Nobody decided that that was a popular enough path, I guess. You'd think one though, just like New York. That's New York. Right, New York should go to everywhere. To basically everywhere. If Philly's got direct flights to Puerto Rico, that's kind of cool. That is nice. Because it gives you an alternative to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Puerto Rico. I hadn't until this year, but I had 
been a lazy bum and not renewed my passport during the pandemic. And then G and I were talking about, like, what's the most different place we could go without a passport? And, and what's warm? So it was Puerto Rico, and it was excellent. I think uh, Amer- American Airlines flies out of there, and then two of the budget airlines do. Did and you, San Juan, of course. Did you do, like, a resorty type vibe? Or, like, a... No, we Airbnb'd. We didn't spend as much time out of, like, San Juan, outside of San Juan, as would make me sound cool. We did do, like, one day out of there. We saw um, WNK, which is their, like, national rainforest, which I guess is the only national, is the only rainforest in the American park system. Really? So that was cool. And then, you know, for, for first-timers who were staying there for a week or less, like, just the San Juan surrounding metro area has plenty to offer. Awesome old Spanish forts, like right on the tip of the island in old San Juan, that are very cool. I like seeing, you know, old fortification, old anything that still exists. Have you been to Gettysburg lately? Mm-mm. Not we should since... plan a group trip to Gettysburg and check out the ghosts and shit. Let's do it. I haven't been since probably the last time a field trip took me there in school. I think there's a lot there. People from here seem to go there quite a bit. More than I would think one would really visit just kind of an old battlefield town. Should we talk more about the roots tonight? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Questlove's deal? Things are going well for Questlove. Good for him. He is a major figure in contemporary music that I care about. Like, not only the roots themselves, but he was like, you know, hip deep in all the Soul Quarians stuff that was happening like from like 98 to three with Common and Erica Badu and Bilal and Slum Village and Jay Dilla. The Roots kick ass, largely in part because they've got him so agile and powerful behind the kit. And actually at the show tonight, I said to our one friend, I was like, is he like one away from the EGOT, man? He looked it up and no, he only has two. Uh, <laughs> Which is a lot less impressive somehow. Which ones is he missing? Tony and I guess a um, Emmy, because I think he won awards for Summer of Soul as a movie, mm-hmm. and The Roots won the Grammy for at least, I think you got me, back in the day. So he's got a Grammy and a, pretty sure an Oscar, which puts him in cool, if he gets one more, I'll put him in cool company with like Trent Reznor and David Byrne, all these like cool musicians who are legitimately one away from an EGOT. Which one's David Byrne miss? I don't know. He has a Tony, I'm sure, from right. Broadway show. And then the question, I guess, is he probably won an Emmy for the HBO version of that, in which case it would be an Oscar, I guess. Wouldn't it be a kick in the pants if it was a Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> also not entirely surprising. The Grammys being what they are, sure. Yeah. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, and I may very well be, I think he does have one, but I don't think it's for talking heads. That's insane. Grammy's gonna Grammy. Yeah, I guess so. That would, like, put the date of their rot back further than, like, some people are, are like, oh, it was when Jethro Tull beat Metallica for metal album or whatever, but, like, if David, if the Dogheads never won a single one, that would put it back to, you know, the 70s. It's great that Questlove is, like, a national teddy bear figure. I've also seen him, like, kick ass Bonnaroo 2005. He drummed with Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. We were all in the field waiting for the them to come out and my memory of it is that he popped up kind of like Bugs Bunny behind the drum kit before anyone else came out and I remember paying funny tricks with me he might have even said like what's up doc I can't remember <laughs> so maybe he said that and that's why I associated with Bugs Bunny or maybe I associated with Bugs Bunny and I've decided that he said what's up doc he just popped up behind the kit and then shortly after was joined by 
Herbie and the 2005 Headhunters. All the best requests. I bet if you were to say that to a bunch of people who were at that show, you could probably create a Mandela effect. Sure. <laughs> Where people are like, yeah, no, he was, he was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> So, that was in 2005, so I was 21, and I was t- sitting next to these guys who were, like, younger than me. I thought they were young. They were probably like 18. One of them started crying when Watermelon Man came on. He was like, this is incredible. This 18-year-old has a deep emotional connection with this Herbie Hancock album. So I'm sure I could convince people like that of just about anything that happened at that yeah. show. <laughs> And I, and I used to see Questlove at, like, Silk City in Philadelphia, just, like, out with his crew eating, you know, diner food at 11 p.m. There's another reason I had to be fine with Quest. I wonder what his crew was like. Because, like, his Instagram is a lot of astrology shit. Not manifestation, but stuff like, like, you know, stuff about, like, very, just new age. He really lays it down. And he strikes me as, you know, a busy social media kind of guy. Oh, you know, I love Quest, but he definitely strikes me as, like, uh, an overshare. But I just wonder if it's Not to say that it's oversharing to go into that, but just in general, it's like, I think he cranks out a lot. I wonder if he just, like, has guru vibe of people around him. Now we're getting into extreme speculation about (laughs) Quest's social life. Everything seems to turn up Quest <laughs> to the, you know, to the uninformed eye, at least. Yeah, he's manifesting the shit out of things. <laughs> Bring on that Tony. <laughs> but I think the, the funny thing is that, you know, you can totally, at this point, see him and all those guys I mentioned getting it at some point. For sure. I feel like the, the wild card's definitely Grammy, so someone's already got that. The other ones are much more like, just write a really good this. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you, you just have to like get some kind of amazing lightning in a bottle moment where the, the Grammys forget that they're not supposed to honor good stuff. Or, or maybe release something crappy years after your peak. That's another way. Did you know Lin-Manuel Miranda somehow doesn't have... That's astonishing. I, he the one who doesn't have his Oscar, which to me is crazy because he wrote all the music to Moana, all the music to Vivo, and all the music to Encanto. I feel like at some point, I mean, those are all very, yeah, very good musical at this point, yeah. Disney movies <laughs> to have just all miss an Oscar. He's got to get one in five within five years, though. <laughs> Unless he's like, he's a, like a Susan Lucci. Susan Lucci. <laughs> Oh, Susan Lucci. Soap opera deep cut. Well, not a deep cut. That's like the least deep cut you can make with, with a soap opera, right? It is, but it's... Old. A hard line age-wise, I'm sure. So it's like a super deep cut if you're born <laughs> after all my children. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? Like these shows that have like, you know, decades upon decades of running order. There's no like super fanboys who like go back. No. They, oh my God, that'd be insane. Because they air, like, every weekday, right? Yeah. It'd be almost impossible, but 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 we live in the year 2022. Yeah. I guess it is possible that someone's just, like, binged 50 years as the world turns. Like, I really need to understand this story arc. I need, like... You know, I, I need a documentary about that person where they just interview them cold. <laughs> okay. I need perceptions on life. Well, no, not, not just that. I want at least like a half hour of content where it shows them like going to a supermarket. It's got like really serious. All those shots are just like very like somber. 
<laughs> rain on a window pane. <laughs> yeah, a yeah, long yeah. shot of just like the screen reflecting off his face. That's what I oh, want. Man. I don't think they even try to write them like it could be a consistent plot, do they? They're like rivers that you just have to jump in where you're at. I don't know, but I mean, you, you gotta figure actors and thus characters, like, come and go, right? And not all at the same time. It's not like a, okay, we're doing a, uh, you know, a reset. So I imagine that, like, you know, there's some kind of consistency where this actor who's working in 2010 works with someone who was working in 1995, or maybe, maybe they don't have that long of a lifetime, unless it's Susan Lucci. But, but like, you know, an unbroken like, chain of succession. Right. So they have, so they kind of have to keep the wheels spinning. If someone could write a cohesive history of like a forty-year soap opera, and if it'd be so. like, it'd be, it'd be like you know the the Old Testament, basically, right? Like, who was begat by Samuel? Your like standards for social behavior from like the earlier ones, it would be just. And then he smacked her in the face and told her to shut her little woman mouth. It was a different time, but by the New Testament, they completely changed the vibe. <laughs> That'd be fun to score a soap opera because that's probably just people jamming, I would assume. I guess so, with string sections and synthesizers. Because you don't have any time. They must film. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, where is the documentary on one of, like the, the down and dirty, curtain pulled back documentary about the soap world? There's ones about wrestling, ones about the sex industry. Where's the soap one? You know, that's just as twisted. Like, you know, there's there's like. A Vince McMahon of the soap industry, right? Maybe we should make this documentary. <laughs> like two people who know nothing about soap operas. <laughs> Couldn't tell you a single person who works on a single soap opera. Except for Susan Lucci. My, my brother uh, told, said to me one time, he's like, I don't know what it is about Dad, but he, he always tells me like I'm going to be impressed. You gotta see this movie. It's got James Caan in it. <laughs> because, and like, James Caan was a significant actor in my dad's, like, prime movie-going life. He's not someone that we, that a movie-goer, a movie fan today wouldn't know. Because he's got, a, you know, he's in Misery, he's in The Godfather, he, uh, he helped Wes Anderson get his career off the ground. But, at the same time, kind of like a faded... He's kind of like the guy from Elf in oh, Las yes. Vegas. And Elf, yes, sorry. <laughs> I meant to include Elf. Elf. I didn't know that last one, but I, I meant to include Elf. It's probably, I mean, that would horrify an older person if you said that that's what you knew him as. Like, right. <laughs> they'd be like, what about The Godfather? I guess everyone will become like this at some point. I know my parents, my dad mainly, will really be convinced that I know second tier actors from the 50s. <laughs> Like, and I know actors from the 50s. Like, I know Gary Cooper and, like, guys who aren't, like, household names today, but I don't know most of the actors from the 50s. Yeah. And like, oh, you know him. I don't. I used to watch, like, when I lived in L.A., I would watch old movies all the time. I went through a really intense phase, and I would just go rent DVDs all the time because I didn't have cable. So there was probably, like, a year there where I would have known the names of actors from the 50s, but mm. my brain just dumps things after... It's no longer in use, for the most part. Like, I can't remember. I used to know all the flags of the world. I couldn't tell you one. Yeah, Not that's... a single flag. <laughs> <laughs> kind of came up recently for me. Because I had, uh, when I moved back from China, I initially thought, how can I, like, continue to live abroad and travel? And I 
tried to become a U.S. diplomat in the couple of years before Trump got elected, and Rex Bannon was put in, they got the foreign service. I had really gotten really good with, like, geography and capitals and flags and everything, but I was at Quizzo, which to most of the country I know is bar trivia or pub quiz or whatever, the other night, and they, one of the speed rounds was, name 12 countries that have a flag that's just, that just has red, white, and blue on it, and I did really bad. Yeah. America wasn't allowed to be included. But I, I, I like forgot Thailand and like countries be, like, that I've been Australia, to like multiple times. Oh, oh, and, and that, no, here's the thing: you weren't allowed to include countries with the Union Jack. What? That is the most highly specific. It was a tough one, <laughs> and I still took second place. My team still took second place, so I don't get the impression that everyone was like, "Oh yeah, of course." <laughs> but I felt bad because like maybe circa 2015, I would have done better when I was still trying to. Become a U.S. diplomat. In life, maybe you're thinking faster because you don't have all those flags clogging you up. Yeah, fair enough. I will say my my, uh, my Mandarin has been better after moving back from China than it ever was when I lived in China. Wow, that's so, really weird. Just because I actually tried to study it a little bit because I felt guilty about it not being good enough when I moved back from China. I was like, come on, Christ, man, you lived there for five years. That is... A little more effort into it. Surprising. I cannot imagine studying after I've left. It's tough, and like I'm not as good as I as I'd like to be. 